In many ways, consciousness is the most obvious thing there is. It's what goes away when you fall into dreamless sleep. And it's what returns when you wake up to experience the world. However, consciousness is also arguably the most baffling phenomenon in the universe. What is it made of? When did it emerge in our evolutionary past? How did it emerge? And do things like atoms, bacteria and plants have it? With no answer in sight, a growing number of philosophers and scientists are flirting with radical sounding ideas. Perhaps the most far out of these ideas is called panpsychism. Panpsychism taken literally says all mind. Pan is all, psych is mind, so everything has a mind. This is David Chalmers, a philosopher who has spent decades grappling with questions about the nature of consciousness. Not all panpsychists believe that absolutely everything has a mind, maybe paper cups don't have minds. But at the very least, panpsychists believe that elementary particles that make up the paper cup have consciousness. Once you put it that way, then everything is made up of tiny bits of consciousness, from humans to chimpanzees, cats to dogs, plants to bacteria. Panpsychists believe consciousness is the fundamental building block to everything in the universe. But what exactly do things like atoms experience? So I don't think anyone claims to know exactly what kind of experience an elementary particle might have, and it's not as if the elementary particle is sitting there, you know, thinking thoughts or even feeling pain or doing anything that would be recognizable to us as a conscious experience. But the speculation, and it is just speculation, is that it might have some primitive analog. David admits this theory sounds a little crazy. It's a crazy idea, but I like to say when it comes to theories of consciousness, everyone needs to have some kind of crazy idea. But how does one even come to believe in such a crazy-sounding view. My name is Philip Goff. I'm a philosopher at Durham University. My main area of focus in my research is consciousness. Philip is a panpsychist. As a philosopher wrestling with questions about the nature of consciousness, Philip turned to neuroscience for some answers. It seemed to explain everything about the mind, how we learn, forget, plan ahead, how we do pretty much anything in our daily lives. But there was one crucial thing neuroscience couldn't explain. You won't learn about what it's like to see blue or what it's like to taste chocolate. In fact, it seems on the face of it like the, the whole story of the brain that we get from neuroscience could go on completely in the absence of experience. And yet, of course, we, we know that experience exists. Nothing is more evident. To Philip, panpsychism offered a simple and elegant solution to this problem by placing consciousness at the centre of everything. From quarks and atoms, to cells and plants, all the way to highly complex systems like brains and bodies, consciousness prevailed. Not everyone, however, finds these ideas easy to digest. I find that hard to swallow myself. This is Professor Carl Nicholas a cell biologist at Cornell University. Carl has spent his career examining plants and microbes. To him, panpsychism is a far-fetched view. Plants, microbes, may behave in complex ways, but they certainly aren't conscious. Still, he thinks people's intuitions about cellular life are far too simplistic. Plants can register whether their neighbors are being physically attacked, eaten, 
damage. They uh, signal to other forms of life using electrical signals and even chemical signals. Even the simplest of cells, single-celled organisms can behave in complex ways. To illustrate this, Carl describes what it's like to watch one of his favorite organisms under the microscope, stentor. It looks like a little wine glass, and in the bowl of the wine glass there are cilia. Cilia are tiny little hairs that stick out of a cell. These help cells move about. If you poke it, it kind of contracts. And if you poke it again, it kind of moves to the side. And if you poke it a third or a fourth time, it disassociates itself from, from the substrate and it swims away. So we would possibly say this thing has learned. Carl is careful not to equate learning found in cells with human learning. Unlike cells, humans can create complex mental representations of the world, store them, put them on hold, and retrieve them depending on the situation. So sure, plants, cells, bacteria all engage in intelligent behaviors to survive. But Carl wouldn't go so far as to say they are conscious. And if they were, Carl jokes that vegetarians would face a pretty serious dilemma. How could you be a vegetarian? If you're a vegetarian, you're mass-killing broccoli. In every seed, there's a little embryonic plant. One slice of bread has killed a thousand little baby plants. Perhaps the best way to think of consciousness, says Carl, is as being part of a continuum, as with a color scale. Infinite shades of color exist as you move from, say, red to green to blue. But as you gradually move between each color, from one wavelength to another, you also witness abrupt changes in color over time. Similarly, the complexity of behaviors and experiences between bacteria, plants, fungi, and mammals is graded. I think most people would look at a begonia and say it does not have intelligence. They would certainly look at a puppy or a cat and say, ah, that organism is intelligent. And then you might get to the point where you say, well, you know, chimpanzees and apes, they actually seem to be self-aware. And then, of course, when we get to us, with the tremendous ego that evolution has given us, we are the most masterful object that biology has ever created. Whether bacteria, plants, and other small multicellular organisms have consciousness may be impossible to know. What we do know for sure is that these organisms engage in wildly complex behaviors that are fundamental to the health of our planet. And if we don't take care of them, it will almost certainly be our loss, not theirs. The things that will survive will be bacteria and viruses. They were the first forms of life, and they very likely will be the last forms of life. For Science Line, I'm Johnny Mowens.